Debating Density a Grain. This week, there's new development in density all over the city. Will any of the proposals get rejected? Nope, none of them are in Glenora. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 69. Nice. Uh, We... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thought I could do that with a straight face. Um, this is a family-friendly podcast. It as is. a reminder, we're just lauding our high achievement of a high episode number on this award-winning podcast. And we're going to keep repeating that every week. Um, let's just jump right into the rapid-fire segment. The Supreme Court of Canada declined to hear BC's appeal after a provincial court ruled that BC could not restrict the flow of heavy oil through a pipeline in the province. This was the final major court case blocking the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. British Columbia, which has been subject to trade feuds and wine spats with Alberta in recent years, objected to the pipeline expansion primarily because of environmental concerns or in Canadian Energy Centre nomenclature because they, quote, hate Alberta. However, this hate is only hate, but not hate-hate, because BC is definitely going to wex it right out of Canada with Alberta in order to show Trudeau, the Canadian politician who spent $4.5 billion on the pipeline that was on the verge of dying because of British Columbia's opposition, that the nice hair, though, Prime Minister, isn't doing enough to support the building of the pipeline that British Columbia doesn't want. We were unable to reach Trudeau for comment on these allegations because he was busy blowing Alberta's equalization payments on bougie donuts. A local Edmonton driver was shocked and surprised that he actually received a ticket after violating the law in his motor vehicle. The story, which circulated widely in Edmonton this week, saw a driver in a Cadillac with a vanity license plate assert that he was definitely not violating the law in any way whatsoever when an officer pulled him over and issued a ticket for violating the law. The driver, whose license plate was covered with snow, a violation of the law, was issued a $155 citation instead of receiving the warning he expected, which he could ignore and then not learn from. However, being an enterprising Edmontonian, he told CBC that even though he received a ticket, he plans to ignore the fine and hasn't learned from it. According to Edmonton police, officers responded to more than 9,500 liquor store thefts in 2019. This averages out to be about 26 per day, triple the rate compared to the 3,273 in 2018. This has prompted one local liquor store to trial a system in which customers must scan their ID in order to gain access to the store. The ID scanning practice, which is voluntarily employed by about 40% of bars and nightclubs in Edmonton, would hopefully cut down on thefts and assaults by ensuring only known, traceable customers are in the store at any given time. At press time, we were unable to determine if two kids in a trench coat with their dad's ID could fool the scanners, and the Zoomer children we were attempting to recruit in order to report on the privacy implications of the device were confused, asking, what's privacy? Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by the TELUS World of Science Edmonton, which is home to the Canadian debut of Marvel Universe of Superheroes. The exhibition runs until February 17th, so time is running out. Edmonton is the first and so far only Canadian city to host it. The exhibit features more than 300 artifacts, costumes, props, and interactive elements that bring the Marvel Universe to life. I got to go a few weeks ago, actually, and really enjoyed seeing the costumes from the movies in person. It was kind of neat to see the level of detail, actually, in the costumes that you don't really pick up on in the in the movie. Have you seen every movie in the MCU? Every single movie. Wow. At least once. Probably more like three times. Disney appreciates your patronage. <laughs> 
<laughs> travel through the mysterious mirror dimension of Doctor Strange, digitally transform into Iron Man, and pose for selfies with Black Panther, Spider-Man, and other iconic Marvel characters. You can also learn the story of Marvel and, of course, its influence on visual culture. Buy your tickets today at telusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. I mean, one influence on culture is that Iron Man is now an iconic Marvel character. Yeah. Before the 2010 movie, Iron Man was a trash superhero. Yeah, like they have was... this thing in the exhibit where you can vote on your favorite. And of course, who's number one? Iron Man? No, Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. No, that, that tracks. But Iron Man's like number two when I was there anyway. So he's definitely shut up in the popularity. My nephew has a bunch of Spider-Man only outfits. Socks, hat, shirt, pants, shoes, just yep. Spider-Man. Yep. So... This is the shilling for Marvel podcast. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> um, let's get right into the municipal politics segment of the show, which is everyone's favorite. And I think the place we're going to start is with privacy, because we've talked about this in the past. We've talked about private council meetings. And Aaron Paquette, Ward 4 counselor, tried to talk about private council meetings this week and didn't really succeed. Yeah, this story caught my eye for two reasons. As you say, we've talked a lot about the increase, at least anecdotally, right? It feels like there's an increase in the number of private reports or the number of times that council goes in private to discuss something. And that's a problem. We know that's a bad practice. Things should be debated in public. The other reason this caught my eye, though, is because once again, somebody has brought forward a proposal just to get information and council has defeated it. So Councillor Paquette, as you say, suggested that they study the idea and maybe look into getting a third-party assessor who would determine whether or not council is abusing its power by holding more of these discussions in private. Um, there's some statistics in the Edmonton Journal article that we're going to link to. So last year, there were 123 reports that they discussed in private, which is about 10% of all the agenda items that they looked at, which is slightly down from 2018, but still significantly higher than, say, back in 2004. So that trend has been up. And the vote lost, or the, the motion lost, seven to six. That's not a good luck to ask for a study to say, hey, do we need to hire a third party to see if we're corrupt? And the answer is, nah, we don't need to look into that. That seems like a bad look to me. Absolutely. Uh, Councillor Paquette said, quote, I was actually surprised for a city that wants to be known for openness and accountability you would think we'd want continuous improvement. I mean, it's true, right? Yeah. We, we tout how we're an open city. We've won that most open city in Canada award like four of the last five years. And the only year we didn't win is because they didn't do it. Like Edmonton <laughs> has really embraced this idea of being open and transparent. So it's bizarre to me that they wouldn't at least say, yeah, let's see if there's any, you know, validity to this idea. And I mean, the defense from the other side is basically that, well, administration vets all reports and anything that can be made public is made public. And sure, I agree that on balance, probably there are members of administration who are really trying to open up as much as they can. But open reports makes administration's job much harder, like especially with a metro line and the contract debates and who said what when. Yeah, there was a reason that the reports were verbal only in private. And that's because getting reports to the media made their lives hard. So there was a very much a conflict of interest from the administration side on deciding what reports were foipable and not. I think that's interesting. Iveson talked about those two things. He said, you know, we have a really vigorous procedure in place already, so he doesn't think they need somebody looking over their shoulder. And he said, quote, I think Edmontonians' interests are protected by us not negotiating land values in public or getting legal advice in public. And that's a fair argument. But as you say, this isn't really necessarily about holding counsel to account. This is about 
perhaps holding administration to account. Like if they're hiding things in private uh, reports because it makes them look bad or they have to deal with the fallout, that's not a good thing. And council should want those things to be open. And there's definitely counterexamples. I can think of when uh, council was debating security practices for council chambers and they were talking about installing a glass wall between the gallery and council. Why did that need to be in private? It was only until it was leaked to the media and then people realized, well, there's nothing in this report. Right. But administration still staunchly defended that, oh, we can't release this because of safety concerns. That was the same report that said we needed to install a glass wall because someone threw a shoe at George Bush in Iraq. <laughs> Sometimes administration's justifications can be shaky. So sure. And of course we have FOIP, but you shouldn't have to have you shouldn't have to rely on that when you live in the most open city in Canada. Open by default is the policy. Um, so that's one of the things that uh, council was debating doing, just sort of offhand and quickly. There was another thing that came across our radar as, it should have been a big thing, but it was kind of just like a story that came through, and it was city moving to scrap minimum requirements for on-site parking, leaving the choice to owners. And we've talked about this in the past. It's very it's very on brand for us. Yeah. Right? And and I thought, well, I read every agenda, every, every agenda item every week when I do the council roundup, and I don't remember seeing anything about parking minimums. And so I said to you, like, wh- why is this a story? And you had some thoughts. If you read the story, it's one specific person, Ashley Salvador of uh, Yegg Garden Suites, um, and she's talking about why this is a good idea. All reasonable stuff and very valid points. She's and we a, agree. Yeah, she's a right? smart urban planner. But I think this is emblematic of the media problem we're currently experiencing in the city of Edmonton, where you can make any news you want by issuing a press release. This is a story solely because Ashley decided we need to get this on the agenda. We need to get people talking about this. I'm sending a press release and giving quotes. I'm sure that's exactly what she did. And lo and behold, it got coverage on all the media outlets. It got shared around and everyone's talking about it. That's not a very judicious form of journalism where anyone who wants to make a story can and i mean like ashley very competent individual and like she's making very valid points but a more nefarious individual this could be well and of course you know the edmonton journal as under-resourced currently as they are they're not likely to publish an article at least not a call uh, a news article that's not a column with only one person and sure enough they went and talked to counselor knack in here but that's the thing counselors are always happy to talk to the media you can always get a counselor to give you a quote on something so it's not really like they went and got you know another voice to be part of the story this isn't coming back till q3 the bylaw to implement this and the report on on street residential parking is not back till 2021 so i mean good on you ashley for getting the the discussion started about it now but yeah it was a bit strange that it came up now and and i guess you're right this is the press release driven media world that we live in at the moment Well, there was coverage on actual things that happened, and there were a couple big things that happened. The first one is uh, another tall tower in Oliver, and we've told this story a billion times. Is there anything particularly interesting about this tall tower different from the other tall towers that are approved in Oliver? I mean, it's a 36-story tower. It's a mixed-use podium. There are currently lots around 112th Street and 100th Avenue. It's a short walk from Grandin LRT, so, you know, TOD. Literally couldn't tell you if this was different from any of the other tower developments that have been approved in Oliver in the past couple of years. sounds like an Oliver Tower, and that's the problem that some people had with this. Yeah, so we had a lot of people pretty staunchly opposed to this tower. 
And not because of the tower, but because this is another entry in a series of towers. And a lot of people are pretty rightly pointing out that, well, Oliver's got some of the lowest uh, percentage of green space per capita in the Mm -hmm. city. It's severely under-resourced from a public resource point of view. The city was talking about closing Oliver's pool last year. Right. So why is Oliver accepting all of this extra density and getting this upzoning for a tower when it's not really getting anything in return for the residents, which is a bit of a valid point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this tower is pretty close to downtown. You know, this is on the the western border of downtown and Grandin or, or Oliver uh, in the neighborhood of Grandin. So it's pretty close to downtown. So you do have some, you know, other outside of Oliver amenities here. Um, but I think it's a fair criticism. The person that was perhaps most interesting to be criticizing this, though, was the ward counselor for the area, Scott McKean. And he had some quotes this week. He did. He said, quote, I'm just getting really sort of concerned about the number of towers we're wedging into Oliver. And I'm using that term wedging in. I mean, we're giving up zonings on each of those, and it seems like we're putting them on fairly small plots of land, end quote. And we talked about this about a previous tower, right? It was a pretty tiny piece of land. I think it was also in Grandin, actually. But it's aligned with TOD and some of the other policies that we've put in place. So that was a bit of a weird take for him to make. But the other one caught my eye was even more interesting. He says, I don't think we're discriminating enough and I don't think we hold some of these to account. He says, you want that big upzoning? What are you doing for the community is my ask. And I say, well, you have a policy for that, counselor. No, what are you, counselor, doing for the community is my ask. There's a policy on community contributions. If that's not sufficient change the policy. And council put that policy in specifically to avoid this problem, to avoid having to debate each and every single project. What are they going to do for the community? What are the contributions the developer is going to get uh, make in exchange for um, this variance from the plans? That was the whole reason they put that policy in in the first place. And now he's here talking about this problem as if we don't have that policy. It's a very strange take. Getting to the root of his problems he's not saying he has a problem with the tower he's saying we're wedging into oliver well he could have made a subsequent motion afterwards to say let's look at amenities in oliver and what we can do and how we can upgrade the amenities make a subsequent motion let's build a new rec center in oliver all of these are things that he could do if he actually wanted to solve the problem but you'll recall in our previous episode, <laughs> this is a trend for the counselor from ward six where there's a lot of talk and then not a lot of follow-up action. And this seems to be another entry in the trend. Um, speaking of trends for Counselor, another Counselor was very on brand about this tower. I feel like you should read this one. Counselor Nickel. Quote, This is the downtown. You've asked for density. You've asked for LRT. You've asked for bike lanes. We even shut down an airport so you could have taller towers. End quote. <laughs> Mic drop. I guess, sure, if you want to like punitively use bike lanes and LRT as a way of saying this is a downtownite problem, maybe he could actually just meaningfully engage with the concerns of Edmontonians who he took an oath of office to represent. But let's not get technical <laughs> about it. <laughs> Councillor Katarina also talked about the airport overlay. And just back to close on this to your previous point about something McKean could have done. He talked about, you know, maybe we should have a CRL for this area to bring some infrastructure. But it was Councillor Henderson who actually asked for a report on what we could do to uh, make up for the loss of mature trees in the area from these redevelopment projects. A little bit of a ward jumping there. And it's very interesting to see that happen because if you've ever interacted with councillors at City Hall and just 
had a material concern when you're talking to one counselor, because you can talk to basically any counselor about anything. But generally, if you have a concern that is about a road or something in front of your house, they'll redirect you to the ward counselor and they'll let the ward counselor handle the concerns. Right. And they try to sort of stay out of each other's business at council. You know, if it's your ward, you make the motion. I think it's very interesting that Councillor Henderson did make that motion and it didn't come from McKean. And I wonder if it's Henderson sticking his nose in and getting in there or if it's McKean not doing the stuff that Henderson wanted and McKean didn't want to make that motion. I think that's some interesting backroom dealing that we'll never know the answer to. But it's always interesting to think Fun about. To highlight. Speaking of Councillor Nickel opposing things, well, that could transition to any well, yeah, item. The most <laughs> open transition ever. Um, <laughs> the big item this week was public hearing for a Cahewin development, which is a surplus school site development for uh, low-income uh, housing, high density, but missing middle stuff. A couple low-rise apartments, no more than four stories, and then several blocks of townhouses. Right next to a school in Cahewin has a bunch of low-income rentals with some other... Uh, market housing to not ghettoize the place altogether a really solid development and as i said i read through these every week and i you know i didn't nothing stood out for me about this application that was going to public hearing i should have known the words affordable housing that this would trigger uh, uh some interest but i would not have guessed that they would have had to extend orders because they had so many speakers yeah there was well over 30 speakers showing up to speak to this development and I tweeted today, perhaps inflammatory, that not a single one of them had any modicum of a <laughs> discernible point. Basically, there was a lot of pushback on this for no reason at all. The the same reasons you think. Oh, well, traffic and parking and affordable housing. And Don't we have a word for this? NIMBYism? Uh, yeah, like this was NIMBYism to the nth degree. Basically, the development really, when you came across it, you said, well, this is no problem like this is definitely going to get approved because and on top of that it had already been adjusted from the original application and when that happens it almost always gets approved yeah like you said a community pushback had prompted the developer to actually reduce the density of the development by 25 percent so it's an increase compared to the surrounding community because the surrounding community has no density <laughs> right. um <laughs> but it's it's very gentle density it's townhouses these are the gold standard for what we want in our neighborhoods right for just missing middle getting this gentle density included there was a lot of consternation about well there's a soccer field there and we're going to lose this soccer field now it's important to remember this is a surplus school site so how that works is it was owned by epsb uh they built a school on it and this was planned to be a new junior high school eventually yep EPSB decide we don't need a junior high school here, so they give the land back to the city and the city can do basically what it wants with it with restrictions, you know, no industrial, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So there was always going to be a building on this lot. There was going to be a junior high school. The junior high would have had a larger footprint than this entire development. The traffic concerns, a junior high will always have more Way traffic more. than this. It, it's sort of like the discussion around parking and driving lanes. So when we take one of our overbuilt downtown roads and we put a bike lane on it, everyone's all up in arms about, ah, they're taking away our lanes. This is a war on cars because we gave too much in the first place. Right. There never should have been an empty field there. It was just declared surplus. But because it was there and people saw it, they're like, well, they're taking away this field. 
it's a bit of a disconnect from how the developmental process actually worked. And to be fair, you know, there's a long period of time that they go from acquiring that piece of land and planning the school to where we are today. Doesn't excuse the fact that when you buy a house and you're moving into a neighborhood, you should do your homework. Yeah. And I mean, there might have been kids that were born when this was always just a field and grew up with it seeing a field. And a couple of those kids spoke at council. <laughs> your favorite. In fact, this was much, much worse than normal because it was, I believe, a grade five and a grade six student. They came and did a presentation. They're like, we're really sad that we're going to lose a soccer field. And, you know, it was, I'm glad to see kids participating in the democratic process. Absolutely. Except after the uh, presentation, the gallery applauded. And Iveson specifically said, it's for the kids. We're okay with bending the rules. Mm, interesting. As a reminder for people who don't listen, Iveson, even more so than past chairs, is very strict about decorum in chambers. You're not allowed to wear t-shirts or logos, bring props. You're not allowed to applaud because it is very business focused and you're not you're not there to intimidate other people or distract other people or to, you know, use boisterousness to make your point. It's yeah. just facts. So to see him suspend that, well, if I'm gamifying this and just applying game theory you're getting kids every time yeah exactly kids are now the best political prop to bring to city council chamber and that's a really cynical thing to do on top of that every member were wearing little like name tag stickers yeah they have this qn residence for responsible development right yeah they had that right on their shirts that's not allowed uh the fact that that was kosher i think is a pretty significant problem and is a pretty significant double standard mm. um at the end of the day, I think probably the reason it was permitted was because everyone knew on council that we do not care what these people are saying. We're approving this. Well, I think it's also perhaps about precedent, right? So only two people voted against, Mike Nickel, as you mentioned, uh, and Councillor Banga. But you'll recall from previous episodes that council has approved a 16% target. So 16% of residential development in all neighborhoods should be affordable housing. If they don't approve this, that's a pretty dangerous precedent to set going forward. Yeah. And especially because all of the concerns were wrong. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. There was no actual defense to this. And to that end, sometimes, you know, you get to discussions like this. You don't want to listen to the council meetings because it's so long. Literally, there was hours. And the kids go first, right? Mm -hmm. And then everybody else just repeats everybody else. Yeah. So it's very boring to listen to. But occasionally, the city administration will put through reports and, you know, they'll do what we heard from consultation meetings. And oh boy, was the what we heard for this one an absolute joy to read. So right off the bat, opening it up, 26 out of 47 of the comments posted on the wall sticky board for what do you like about this proposal was, quote, nothing. <laughs> So the vast majority of what people liked was nothing. Nothing. They couldn't find anything to like about it. So you already know that this is about to get really good. But there was some some bureaucrat in administration who just said, I am so sick of these people. <laughs> and they wrote a response to basically the common trends of feedback. And some of these responses, if you read them with a sarcastic tone of voice, they're a lot. Uh, so one of the big complaints was, a collection of comments about the relative treatment of the Kihuan site in comparison to other surplus school sites. And the administration response was, quote, the site is not being treated differently than other sites, period. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> it's, um, people complained that there are eight other surplus school sites that do not have a school within 100 meters. 
administration response, there are several other surplus school sites that are located within 100 meters of a school building. They could have ended there, but they did colon, open bullet, Belay Heights, 36 meters, Kaniski Gardens, 31 meters, Greenview, 30 meters, etc. And they actually give a meter count of all the other surplus school sites. So like, I read this like it's almost like belligerent in response, <laughs> but then it gets actually belligerent. Concerns about the sun and shadow impacts. Quote, a four-story building is not considered to be tall enough to have significant impacts upon surrounded properties. A sun shadow impact study is not required. No other elementary schools have unsafely situated proximate building. And you're thinking, wait, what? It's unsafe? And administration, they caught on to that. There are numerous examples throughout Edmonton where residential land uses abut school sites. There are no demonstrated safety concerns where these land uses pose a conflict. And like Michael Walters this week said it, he's just like, I do not see a problem with having housing located next to a school. Yeah, that seems like a pretty sensible use of space, no? The administration, they go on throughout and they basically reply, you know, a lot of the concerns are, if this is too close to the school and their safety and privacy concerns for the school and students, the administration said, no, the school and park site is a public space. There are no demonstrable safety concerns with a residential use next to a public space. And you're like, yeah, generally re public spaces are next to residential uses. I thought it was very interesting. One of the speakers seemed to indicate that it would be undesirable to live next to the school. He's talking from a residential perspective. People who might buy into this yeah, development. Yeah, exactly. It's like... You know, it's undesirable to live next to a school because kids are loud. <laughs> so <laughs> what about if you have kids that need to go to school? What if it's after 3 p.m. when no one's at the school? I mean, maybe there's just going to be like a bunch of boogers thrown on the <laughs> sidewalk and it's going to be an ugly development. Long story short, it was approved 11 to 2 because there was no choice but to approve it. Absolutely. And I love that. This is administration's really their only mechanism to be belligerent in response. And yeah. they took full advantage. And like it's buried in page 25 of a report. No one's ever going to read that except us. Yeah. And then council, of course. Yeah. Um, Hopefully. But speaking of things that council has no choice but to approve, uh, the Edmonton gondola backers. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I hope that's not a true transition when this comes to... Uh, I know people think that we hate the gondola and it's not that we hate the gondola. We just think it's a dumb idea. Yeah. <laughs> but it was in the news this week. Um, back to your point earlier about, you know, putting out a press release and getting some attention. To be fair, this one is expected to come back to Urban Planning Committee next week on January 28th. Uh, but Jeffrey Hansen Carlson, who's the director of Prairie Sky Gondola, said that in our first year of operations, we'll have 637,000 customers for a total of more than 3 million trips. Now, as we're about to call BS on those numbers, I'm going to formally invite Jeffrey Hanson Carlson. You can come on the <laughs> podcast and talk with us. 637,000 customers. That's as much as Rides ETS. And this is just a projection, too. It's a very specific projection. Yeah. You know, he's kind of like those are significant numbers and they're much higher than I would have guessed in the early throws of Prairie Sky, he said. But those are just made up numbers. And they said that, you know, we have a path to cash flow positive with a given fare structure and based on these projections and then didn't say what the fares would be. Right. Uh, the whole report seems like it was written by someone who's just like, hey, if I just lie, do you think anyone will notice? <laughs> 
Prairie Sky Gondola continues to reiterate that they don't need any city money to do this, though I do agree with Councillor Nickel that at the end of the day, if it doesn't get 637,000 customers and it fails, it'll be the city that has to deal with it. So it's still a concern, and I'll be very interested to hear what council has to say when it goes to committee. Yeah, and it's coming back to committee next week, so... Let's do predictions. Is the gondola meeting going to be long or short? Is it going to be council are really getting in depth and trying to break down these numbers or council just saying, nah, this is dumb. (laughs) I predict it will be shorter, not longer. Maybe not necessarily because all of the councillors think it's dumb, but because they've heard from enough constituents, people out there like us taking a crap on the idea that they'll be uneasy about giving it too much airtime. That's my prediction. I am cognizant, though, that there is a pretty significant contingent of our listeners that every time we talk about the gondola, yeah, they, love re- it. They, yeah. they absolutely love it. And they think Troy has a really bad take here. Uh, usually you're here and you can balance out my bad takes. Yeah, sorry, not this time. Uh, we'll follow that next week. But right now, like the gondola, we also need to fund using dollars that aren't our own. And that's by reading an ad. And we don't even have to read it. Norquest College Career Moves has the perfect clip for you. Your next career move is right around the corner, and NorQuest College is here to help. Our new Career Moves Professional Development Program will help you transition to new job opportunities. Funded by the Future Skills Center, we will provide one-on-one coaching, self-assessments, skill development and training, and up to $2,000 in available tuition credit. Our focus is your success. Make your next move. Apply today at norquest.ca slash careermoves. And that's it for this week. Um, what do we have to say at the end? I got nothing on the on the script here. Are we just closing it? Is that? Well, we could always ask our amazing listeners to give us a rating and tell a friend. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a really cool idea. On iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Spotify. I don't think you can rate on Spotify. Can you? You probably can. I don't see why. Why don't you, give us a thumbs up dear on listener, Spotify. yeah, go find out if you can rate us on <laughs> Spotify and then do whatever you have to do. If you just have to play it on repeat to get to your Spotify 2020 rewind, speaking municipally top, do that. We'll be uh, following all the gondola information next week. That's all we're going to... Next week, it's only going to be gondola. That's the only <laughs> thing we're going to talk about. Um, and you can look forward to that. We're not. We're not. I, I, can't, just I can't commit to that joke. No, no. I'm just going to end it. We're done now. I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.